Let's come together, guys. Thank you. Let me uh, just open our time in a word of prayer, and then we'll dig in, okay? Lord, we just give you thanks for this time where we can just hear the truth of your word. I thank you for what we have already heard from your word in 1 Corinthians uh, 14. Lord, may those truths sink deep into our hearts, and may we live them out. And Lord, as we look at uh, how we are to live rightly up before you and not allow idols to creep into our lives, especially the idols of work and money, I pray that our hearts would also be stirred, Lord, to live with you on the throne of our lives. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys for the opportunity to uh, just come before you and share some of these truths that I've learned over the last, uh, it's coming up on 40 years of working now. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But just, I, I do want to make a couple book recommendations for you if you haven't read these. Uh, the first one is called Living Life Backwards. And this is a commentary on Ecclesiastes, a book by David Gibson. And uh, one of the main truths that I just love from that book is that God has given us work not because that's all there is, but because that's what there is. So I would recommend that one. And the second one is, maybe you've seen it or heard about it, The Treasure Principle from Randy Alcorn, just a wonderful book about stewardship and how we are to leverage everything that we have for God's glory, using it for his kingdom purposes. So... Let me start my timer here so I stay on track. Thank you guys for the, uh, the opportunity. Uh, last week we started with a wonderful introduction from Luke on uh, just the, the theology of work and how we see this, this common thread throughout the Bible about how God created work. And uh, we see the, the, the meta-narrative is creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And work fits into that as well. God created work perfect, but because of sin, our work is all messed up, but because of Christ's work on the cross, there's a redemptive work that, uh, that happens in our work because we are redeemed people. And consummation, that's the restorative nature of that, where eventually work will be back to the way, the way that God intended it to be. Uh, we've entitled this lesson, this week's lesson, Work the Problem with It. We're going to drill down into a couple of the big problems with work that we see. And I guess they're really not so much problems with work as they are really problems with our own heart. They're sin issues. And I, I just pray that we would each be convicted of some of those things uh, as we look at them a little bit more here this morning. So just to get our minds working and thinking, uh, let me ask you this question. You could raise your hand. How many of you guys have had a problem at work this week? Anybody? Oh boy, I sure have. Okay, this one's a little bit more penetrating of our hearts. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. How many of those problems at work have been because of you? Ouch, yeah, I know. I think I could probably say that as well. Yes, we know there are many problems in our work, and uh, that kind of just leads us to uh, our big idea here for the morning. The big idea is work is not redeemed, but we as God's people are redeemed, and that means that we don't have to worship work idols any longer. And we're going to look at two examples. One of them comes to us from Luke chapter 18, a story that's very familiar to us all probably, the rich young ruler. The second one is from Proverbs chapter 24 and the sluggard's garden. And I pray that as we look at these two truths that we wouldn't just uh, be hearers of the word, but that we allow these truths to sink in, that we would be doers of God's word as he convic convicts us and wants to see us change more into the image of Christ's likeness. Well, I started work when I was 13 and a half years old. Back in those days, you could get a work permit. And so this just meant that you had to apply through the special program. They would give you the certificate, 
and off you'd go to work. Um, so my first day on the job, I remember I showed up, I lived in the Mojave Desert. I showed up to this old timer's house. He lived on a couple acres of desert. I knock on his door and he came out and he hands me a hula hoe. And he goes, here you are. And he takes me around back and he shows me this acre of weeds. And he says, there you go, have at it. And so, you know, I grabbed the hula. I was just a 13-year-old kid. <laughs> I just like, start, start weeding. Uh, and I was making $3.25 an hour. And uh, just, just thinking about, the, you know, the truth of Genesis chapter 3.18, it says, Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. By the sweat of your face you'll eat bread. And I'm out there, you know, the baking sun. And uh, just amazing, you know, how, how we, we feel the effects of sin on our work. And uh, by God's grace, over the almost 40 years that I've worked now, I have really seen that there are problems with work. I've been a part of many of those problems. Um, and I haven't learned everything that, that I need to learn yet, but I'm thankful that God has taught me many things over those, those years. I'm particularly thankful that um, I'm able to share these truths with you, that I've learned biblical truths, and I just wish I would have learned it earlier, many years earlier, so I don't waste so much of my life pursuing the things of the world, but rather working for the glory of God and using it for his kingdom purposes. Okay, so work is not redeemed, but we as his people are redeemed. This means that we don't have to worship work idols any longer. Our work is far better now because God has saved us, given us a new heart, a new hope, a new life in him. Well, this morning we're going to look at two specific sins uh, from Luke 18 and Proverbs 24. And uh, I will just confess from the get-go that, you know, I have had uh, times in my life where my work has been an idol. We're going to look at two idols. One of them is uh, how work is an idol, and the second one is how we can be idle at work. So kind of a fun play on words there, both idols. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I definitely have not done that perfectly. There have been times when I, I have wasted a lot of time at work. And there's been times where money, status, position, all those things have been elevated to being an idol in my own heart. Oh, thank you. We've, we got the handouts here. So thank you guys for that. I appreciate it. And I just want to say that I'm not here to poke you in the eye and make you feel bad about you know, any of these things. I, I pray that God would convict our hearts together and that we would just grow more as we seek forgiveness for some of these sins that have we allowed to creep into our lives, sins of, of the being, have work being idle and being lazy or idle at work. Well, I was swiping through my news feed the other day, and I came across this interesting article. How many of you guys have heard of the Fat Fire movement? So fire stands for financial independence, retire early. Okay, so you, you got a fat chunk of cash, you store it all up. It's like people that live out of their cars for 30 years and just pile up all this money and then they retire when they're 30 years old. You know, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty wild, but there's a, there's, a, there's a good contingent of folks that are doing that. And there's another movement called the quiet quitters. So these are the folks who, you know, they show up to work, they don't really do anything. They just kind of like hide in the shadows and maybe do bare minimum so they don't get fired. Um, so I just thought, boy, this is so relevant to what we're talking about here this morning. You know, on the one hand, we've got these, these folks that they, they elevate the status and work and money, finances, all the way to this highest position so they can somehow get out of work, right? They want to stockpile as much money away so that they can not have to work, just live off the income, the investment income. And then on the other hand, we have the, the quiet quitters who essentially want to do the same thing. They want to get out of their work as well and just do the bare minimum. 
So whenever we're confronted with these things, these, these messages that our world is continually giving us, we want to also compare them against what God's word says. Make sure we are knowing the truth, not just buying into some of these things. Okay, so let's start off here this morning by looking at uh, the first biblical example. It comes to us from the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. We'll get to that in just in a second, but before we do... Let's talk a little bit about what an idol is. Think in your own mind, okay, what's an idol? Okay, it's not that, you know, you picture Indiana Jones, you know, with the gold head there, and he's like trying to swap it on with a bag of sand. You know, it's a shiny gold thing, it's cool, he really wants it. You know, we typically don't have those kind of idols in our lives, but we certainly have idols, and they're just not those little gold heads. They're probably, well, for me, it's like a new dirt bike or you know, a new, a new gun or something. Maybe it's a new phone for you, or it could be anything that begins to elevate itself in our minds and take over our thoughts and our intentions. And you guys can relate, right? You get on Amazon, you read all the reviews about whatever that widget is you're going to buy, and oh man, this one looks so good. You make a list, you do comparisons, and uh, it's funny how that, it's all you think about, right? Oh, well, if I could just save up enough, I could just get that thing. Man, that would, be, that would be just great. Well, let's see what God's word has to say about idols. And I just love what uh, Psalm chapter 115, uh, verses 4 through 8, how it describes it. The idols of the heathen. This is a, a section from Psalm 115. Listen to what it says. It says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. Ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. Hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. What a truth this is. We're going to talk more about that in a second, but I would just, get you, to get your mind thinking, we could characterize an idol as anything that replaces God on his rightful throne in our lives. Anything. It could be possessions, careers, relationships, hobbies, sports, dirt bikes, gadgets, but it could also be greed, addictions, alcohol, drugs, pornography, money. Some of these things are absolutely sin, but can you see how there's things that are actually good, like work, that can be also be an idol in our lives? And it can become an idol if our sole source of satisfaction and identity is drawn from these things that we allow to crowd out the position of God on the throne of our hearts. Flip over Luke chapter 18 here, uh, verses 18 through 23. And we're going to look at the story of the rich young ruler. You guys probably know the story well. Let me just read it. A certain ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and earth and come and follow me. 
this rich ruler, he thought that he had fulfilled all the commandments that were listed there. And I'll leave you guys the exercise of going and finding out why only some of them were listed. I don't have time to get into that this morning, but it's just a, it's an amazing passage to study. But the one thing that this man lacked, that he had not allowed Christ the rightful place on the throne of his life. His throne was occupied with the things of the world, with money, with status and position. And there was an idol in Christ's place, and he just could not come to the point where he'd be willing to give that up for Christ. Christ is offering this man true joy, true identity, true satisfaction. All those things that the cold, cruel idols will never meet in our lives. But sadly, this rich young ruler, he just couldn't let it go. The truth is that God detests anything in our lives that push him off the throne of our hearts. And God is very explicit in Exodus chapter 20 with the first two commandments. What's commandment number one? Anybody remember? What is it? Just say it, somebody. Okay, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall have no other gods before me. What's number two? You shall not make an idol for yourself. You see, no one can serve two masters. Jesus even proclaimed this in a Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 6. It's just an amazing study, too, if you want to spend some time looking at that. God makes this comparison between treasure and riches here. Jesus, I'm sorry, as he's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And I just wonder, you know, why would Jesus specifically use the example of serving God versus serving or being a slave to money when he says you cannot serve both God and riches? Well, if you go back up in the text a little bit there in verse 19 and 21, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the crux of it right here. For where your treasure is, there your heart may be also. You see, we simply cannot have two masters on the thrones of our lives. There can only be one, or else those two will compete with each other, and ultimately God will be pushed out of our hearts, out of our lives. But our intention is to confront that and say, Lord, I, will, I want you to be on the throne of my life. I don't want those distractions. I don't want those cold, cruel idols any longer. I'm sure you guys have experienced this when, you know, when you're looking for that new thing or whatever that, that idol might be in your life. I just wonder from Psalm 115, where it says, those who make them, those idols, will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. Sometimes I wonder if we are becoming like that cold, cruel, lifeless, faceless, speak speechless idol that is such a demanding master and really leaves us nothing but a greater desire for that which can't be obtained. Church, neither our church nor our money we earn from it was ever meant to somehow meet all of those uh, relational, emotional, and societal, societal needs. Work was never intended to do that. And over the course of this series that, we're, that Luke and I are teaching, we would like to lower your expectations about your work. Maybe you've never heard that before. But specifically, lower your expectations about how satisfying your work is if you only work to satisfy yourself. That's worth repeating. 
Lower your expectations about how satisfying your work is if you only work to satisfy yourself. I'd like you to see that as you work as under the Lord, your expectations for work will be met. God says he's going to provide everything according to his riches and glory, not according to the riches and glory that we might seek. So let's talk practical for a moment here. We want to engage our minds with the practical as well as the theological. How can we identify if work has become an idol for us? I've listed a few things out there on your sheet here, but let me just talk through them real quick. If your work has become the single most most important source of satisfaction, identity, or joy in your life, it's possible that your work might have become an idol. If your only meaning in life is drawn from work, maybe it's become an idol. If your work is only about getting money so then you can spend it on your own selfish desires, or even if you want to just keep packing that money away for retirement, it's likely that you may have an idol on the throne of your life. Or if maybe your work is only to make a name for yourself, or if you're worried about losing your job, there could be an idol on the throne of your life. Okay, well, let's look at our second biblical example uh, from the sluggard's garden. And if you'd flip over to Proverbs chapter 24 with me, look at verses 30 and 34, the second idol that we're going to consider here, I-D-L-E. We looked at I-D-O-L, and now I-D-L-E. This is the sin of being lazy or not engaged with our work. Uh, if you would just follow along with me, let's look at... Um, I'm in the wrong chapter here. Proverbs chapter 24, 30 through 34. I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered in nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I looked and I saw and reflected upon it, I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest then your poverty will come in as a robber and your want like an armed man. Interesting use of words there. I've never thought about how a man who essentially has nothing, who's laying there in ruin, is at risk of being robbed. What's, he, what's, what's going on here? I thought the rich young ruler would be the one that would be worried about being robbed. He's got, you know, stacks of money. This is a guy laying in, the, in ruin, but he, he's also at risk of being robbed. It's interesting that this man, the word that describes him is the word lacking sense. It's a word that's frequently used in the Bible in discussing heart, heart matters. This man was void of understanding and, his, and what, and what uh, he was supposed to be doing with what God entrusted him with. This man had a heart condition. He had an idol on the throne of his life. And it could have been that at one point he was working the land, right? It says that he had a wall, so he did build it. He had a vineyard, so he probably built it up. But maybe he took a little bit too long of breaks once in a while. Maybe he was starting to like slide into the background and not uh, tend the garden that God had given him. Perhaps he quietly quit tending that garden that God gave him. Proverbs 21:25 tells us the craving of the sluggard will be the death of him. I think that's what he's getting at here when he talks about being robbed. This man refused to work hard, and even the very life of the sluggard will be taken away, and he doesn't even realize it. In both of these stories that we've looked at, we see a craving that's going on, a desire to get something, right? What is it? 
One man is craving money and ease. The other is craving ease, but will eventually crave money when he realizes that he doesn't have anything. But both of these men are at risk of being robbed. And I would say that such is the case with the idols of our own heart, right? Why is that true? It's because the temporal will always be at risk of being stolen. That shiny new dirt bike I have could be gone in a second if somebody stole it, right? Whatever it is, that phone, that, that uh, as you guys know, your retirement accounts could all just vaporize one day. That's the end of it, at risk of being stolen. That's why we're encouraged to not store up for ourselves treasures on this earth, but store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where nothing can take it away. And I would also just say that I've experienced a direct correlation in my own life between being lazy in my work life and in my desire to fight against sinful temptations. Proverbs chapter 24, just a few verses earlier, confirms this. It says, If you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. And the truth I want you guys to see from this is that the idol of laziness leads to spiritual death. But it also has physical death implications as well. Okay, so how can we expose laziness in our own hearts? You guys have probably felt that on your jobs at times, not doing all that you could do, maybe taking a little bit too long of a lunch, not working as hard as you should. I put a couple questions down there just to poke at our hearts a little bit. Have you ever said, I deserve an easy day at work? Yes, I have. Some, uh, some Fridays, right? It's like, it's Friday. I'm just going to cruise today. An easy day. How about the next one? I work more than others do. I work more, more, I work more than Bob does, so I'm okay. I don't have to worry about getting laid off. That's a low bar, right? Very low bar. <laughs> How about the third one? The boss isn't around today. Wait a second. Yes, he is. Luke's going to show us next week. We're going to talk about a little bit more about what it means to have a new boss. How about number four, portraying busyness. It's one thing I've been guilty of as well. I'm so crazy busy at work all the time. Somebody asks you, how's work going? Oh, I'm so busy. But you're just thinking, oh, well, man, I'll just put, the, put this out there, portray this to others so that people get the sense that I'm, that I'm really not lazy. I'm working harder than I really am. Certainly God has shown us the importance of a day of rest, but we should never allow rest to turn into a pattern of laziness. One commentator wrote, we should no longer think of work as something that we hasten to get through in order to enjoy our leisure. We should look on our leisure as the period of changed rhythm that refreshes us for the delightful purpose of getting on with our work. So what should our response be to both of these sins, both of the idols that we may have allowed to creep into our lives. Well, we want to have a gospel-centered, grace-saturated response to this. So let me just ask you to search your own hearts for a moment and ask yourself, is your work becoming an idol in your heart? How about laziness? Is there areas in your heart that you're convicted of that you're being lazy at work? Well, in both of these conditions, we need the cross. Neither of these sins is going to bring that joy and satisfaction that God intends for his redeemed. But there is hope. There's hope for us in Christ's work on the cross. 
If you have identified with one of these sins and the Spirit of God is convicting you, God is waiting for you with open arms to bring those sins to him. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In fact, if we look back at the this, this same story in the parallel accounts about the rich young ruler, uh, the one in, um, in Mark chapter 10, verse 20 and 21, as the ruler responds with, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. And then Jesus in verse 21, this is just such a sweet heart for the lost, and I just love this. Jesus, at looking at him, he felt a love for him. He's felt, feeling a love for this, this man who has this idol on the throne of his life. One thing you still lack. If you would just allow me to take that rightful position in your heart, I will meet all your needs according to my riches of grace and my goodness. Christ looks on him with love, ready to forgive his sins. I just wonder how many of us are still clinging to those cold, cruel idols in our hearts, not allowing God the rightful place on the throne of our lives. You know, if you finish that article on the fat fire movement, uh, I wasn't expecting this, but I got to the end of it and I was like, Oh, wow, this is, this is like, this is biblical truth. I don't remember it was like a Reddit post or something. But uh, the, the, the research went on to find that the people who, who store up all this wealth, who, who, who quit their jobs and start traveling, retiring early, they end up miserable. They've done studies on these folks, and they're just, they're, they're just, they're so empty. There's nothing there. Why is that the case? It's because God created us to work not to spend our lives trying to figure out a way to get out of it. Well, I want to give you guys some hope. Maybe you're, you've gotten here that, you know, this morning and you're not really looking forward to going to work tomorrow morning. Maybe your job situation is difficult. It's challenging. There's people there that are difficult. You're difficult. I'm difficult. What can we do with this? Like, how can we grow together? Well, I want to give you guys just a few just encouragements uh, things that we can do to resist these temptations to have idols in our hearts. The first one, lean into the work that God has given you and be thankful for it. Read the Living Life Backwards book. That book, basically you start at death and you work your way backwards to where you, know, you want to be when you get there. It, just, it will really, it really invoke some interesting thoughts as you think through that. But lean into what God has given you with a thankful heart that will lead to contentment. The second one, be generous. Don't just work for your own personal gain. Be on the lookout for where you can be a financial help even to other people who are in need. And I'm not insinuating at all that we shouldn't save up for retirement or you know, have a savings account or anything like that. We should save. But I would say, save but don't worship your savings. Spend but don't worship your spending. Work, but don't worship your work. Rest, but don't allow that rest to become an idol in your heart. Trust that God will bring you the enjoyment and satisfaction from work that you're looking for. It will come from God. Next one, look for the little blessings in your difficult job. I know that you guys, some of you guys just may be at wit's end with your work, ready to quit, ready to do something else. 
But God has you there for a reason. Start looking for what that reason is. Pray that God would give you opportunities to encourage other people who are also hurting around you. Look for gospel opportunities. The fifth one, guard your heart against the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes regarding your bank accounts. It's not just sexual lust. You know, how many of us have lusted for that number in our 401 account, 401k account? We look at it and we're like, oh, ah, today it's doing horrible. I'll check tomorrow. You know, that can become a, a hard issue of lust. If you're spending all of your time on the Fat Fire Reddit, stop doing that. <laughs> Maybe some of you guys are. I don't know. Maybe you're fantasizing about how amazing it would be to just walk out of your shift and disappear and never show up again. Stop doing that. <laughs> God has you there for a reason. We read in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and by some longing for it have wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. I'll tell you that one of the most freeing things that I've ever experienced is the joy of learning that I don't ever have to retire. That 401k all of a sudden just became a lot less important in my heart. That truth took my 401k off the throne of my life as I begin to understand that God has me working for a reason. As one commentator stated it so well, as Christians, we never stop working, but our work address changes. And then the last one there, number six, when work is done, step back and look at it. You could ask the Cush boys about stacking firewood and mowing lawns. I always told those boys, when you're done with a big stack of wood, stand back, stand back and check it out. After you mow the grass, you know, stand back and look at it. Part of it was because they missed spots. I want them to go get it. <laughs> but no, God modeled this as well. Remember when God, he looked at his creation and said, it is good. He observed it. So practice that as well. The final one, focus on the eternal hope that we have in Christ, and it will be the reason for you to get up tomorrow morning and go to work. When your feet hit the floor in the morning, thank the Lord for your salvation. Thank him that you can't earn it, that you don't deserve it. Pray that God would use the work that he's placed you in for his glory. Well, we've seen that there's certainly a problem with work because of sin, but because of God's redeeming work, we see that work is not redeemed, but we as God's people are redeemed. And this means that we do not have to live with work idols on the throne of our hearts any longer. Next week, Luke is going to get into what it means to have a new boss. But let me just close in prayer. Thank you guys for your time listening. I pray that you would be encouraged. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that because of Christ, we don't have to worship idols any longer. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, your unmerited favor toward us, even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I pray that tomorrow morning when we show up for work, we would have a new outlook on why you have placed us there, God. Lord, where there have been idols in our hearts, either laziness or, or work crept in to become an idol, please forgive us from those sins, Lord. Cleanse us from unrighteousness. Help us to work and live for you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.